If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Miss the shows? No worries. We've got you covered on point and on the podcast. A small business in Etobicoke defies lockdown laws. Is this the start of a pushback against a very unlevel playing field? A study on kids before the pandemic shows a big spike in mental health issues. What do the numbers say now? A Green MP's fighting to free Meng Wanzhou, of course, but of course, nothing about the two Michaels. Whatever happened to standing on the right side of history? And private versus public care, what the pandemic reveals about long-term care and the cost being paid by our most vulnerable. Let's get talking. Canada no longer has any domestic production capacity for vaccines. Um, we uh, used to have it uh, decades ago, but um, we no longer have it. Uh, countries like the United States, Germany and the UK uh, do have domestic pharmaceutical facilities, which is why um, they're obviously going to prioritize helping their citizens first. Well, gee, duh. Yeah, a vaccine's coming. But Canada's going to sit on the sidelines, so get ready to watch many other countries get it first because they did the heavy lifting. Alex Pearson with you on this very busy Tuesday, November 24th. And uh, boy, what a day. What a day. And I think we're starting to see, we're starting to see, I think, a real shift in frustration, a lot of anger. As COVID fatigue and frustration fester over all the restrictions that are, I think, very clearly revealing this growing divide of those who aren't in this together. And until we get that vaccine, you know, it's only going to get worse. But that vaccine, months away. And what was very clear listening to the prime minister ramble on is that there is no plan other than to tell you we've ordered millions of vaccines. Well, yeah, that's great. When do we get them? We have no date. What's the plan to roll them out? We are talking about that. So no date, no plan. I mean, we know more about the U.S.'s warp speed, which is a $12 billion military plan, which will roll out 350 million vaccines the second they're approved, which will likely be end of December. Here, zero details on what the government plan is, which tells me, tells us we don't have one. All we get is nonsensical, non-committal spin. And then the prime minister is saying, well, you know, we don't have the ability to make vaccines here. Okay, right. And that the countries making them will protect their citizens first. Well, of course they will, as they should. But knowing this then, his government should have moved at warp speed, locking down vaccines first. And the reality is they did not. They dragged their feet till late summer. So He can boast that we've got this record number of deals signed, but we did it after many, many, many other countries locked them down. And so they'll get them first. And the countries that did produce the vaccines will serve their own. So I think Canadians have to get very used to seeing the sight of every other country rolling up their sleeves starting probably in a few weeks 
and we won't have one until at least four months. So we're talking March before they come to this country and maybe longer. And I think if that's the case, then the Trudeau government's got an obligation to be honest. They should be managing expectations of people in this country, especially the business owners who are not just fed up, but they're the ones paying the price for this. And so, look, they're not being honest. And uh, again, great, lock down as many vaccines as you want. If we can't get them here and we can't get them delivered and we can't get them into people's bodies, it means nothing. Nothing. And while all the talk, you know, is on COVID, I will not bury this headline uh, because it is offensive. And it has to do with an event that is being held where there's a couple of uh, clueless Canadian MPs taking part in a free Meng Wanzhou campaign on Zoom. No, seriously, that is what the... That's what the poster says, free Meng Wanzhou campaign. And the two MPs I'm talking about, NDP Nikki Ashton and a Green Party MP from out west in Paul Manley. And they're going to be featured speakers in this event where they're going to fight for Meng Wanzhou's release because they're so deeply concerned about the billionaire's freedom. And yet the campaign, and you look through the literature, nowhere does this give voice to the two men paying the ultimate price for her charges. I mean, it is beyond gross. And it's not just one event, because Ashton also has put forward a petition in Parliament calling on Meng's release and demanding Huawei be approved. And so essentially by taking part in this event, these two MPs are endorsing a false narrative that China's put out that Meng Wanzhou was detained in an unprovoked kidnapping. And that was that's not true. And she ran for NDP leadership twice. So she's no newbie. She's been an MP for 12 years. And her leader, Jugmeet Singh, is on record saying his party will follow the rule of law in her case. So either have they changed their stance or has she simply gone rogue? Because last week, the NDP also voted in favor of a conservative motion calling on the Trudeau government to get tougher against China's aggression and to make a decision to ban Huawei in 30, 30 days. But of course, Ashton skipped the vote. Not feeling it, eh? I guess what she does feel strongly about is giving China the impression that some kind of injustice was do done to this woman, who is apparently suffering so greatly in her multiple BC mansions, you know, being driven around by private security so she can shop and lunch with the ladies. And so you look at this and go like, how any Canadian, let alone a Canadian politician, could ever endorse her freedom, you know, over that of two men being terrorized is is really just gross. Because Michael Kovrig and Michael Spaver, they were kidnapped off the streets of China, and they've been tortured for more than 700 days. And I, I don't see these actions by these MPs as anything but reckless. Because make no mistake, the Chinese Communist Party, they're loving this, delighted, delighted with this support. You know, and it plays right into the propaganda that they were right to arrest the two Michaels because Canada is breaking the law. And so this stunt is getting all sorts of attention by China. It's all over their media. And I thought it was nutty enough to see a NDP leader, Jagmeet Singh, spilling tears over the death of Fidel Castro. I mean, he saw his, you know, violent oppression as some kind of beacon of hope. But apparently the nut doesn't fall clear, you know, far from the tree because Ashton is pulling this stunt and demanding Huawei be part of our 5G network. And this is the same woman who supported the hands-off Venezuela campaign last year, which was to support the despicable Nicolas Maduro regime. So I guess we can't really expect her to stand on the right side of history now. And then there's this Canada-wide 
event, free Hmong campaign countrywide in December, on December 1st, and they're calling it a day of action for Miss Wanzhou. Good Lord. You know, China does not need to do their propaganda because they've got enough useful idiots here to do it for them. And we're going to talk with that green MP at 845. Like, why are you doing this? Because I don't think he was expecting the blowback that he is getting. Which takes us to the big talker here locally. And this has to do with the Etobicoke restaurant owner, who's the talk of the town because he defied the lockdown, giving a middle finger to what he calls the unfairness of this shutdown. Here he is. Why are we getting singled out and the big multinational corporations are all essential while they're packed? Come on, guys. Enough is enough. We're opening for anybody who's a fan of freedom and sovereignty, the right to choose what you wear, where to go, who to have over at your house, what businesses you can go to. I'd love to meet you tomorrow. I'll be there at the door in Etobicoke. Tomorrow meaning today, so this thing was advertised, and that is the owner, Adam. And um, at the time, earlier today, he was not closed down or fined. That only happened later today. And that's not because I think any business should be fined right now. But because at the end, neither the city of Toronto, the cops who arrived, or the bylawers, they didn't know what to do. So they show up and they're like, what do we do? We're talking nine months into this thing. A video put up by the restaurant owner last night saying, hey, this is what I'm doing, and these bozos can't figure out how to enforce laws. I mean, now you know why so many people are having parties, because they don't care. They know that anyone showing up will just go, I don't know what to do. What do we do? And if I'm a business owner watching this charade, I'm saying to hell with it. I'll take my chances, because those in charge are clueless. And I'm not telling you to do that. Open up. Do what you want. But I, I mean, the the ineptness and the handling of this and the mixed messaging is just maddening. So I do not blame businesses for being frustrated. Not one little bit. And Bonnie Henry, who is BC's uh, medical uh, chief medical officer, uh, she's not closing businesses there. Why, you ask? Oh, well, gee, they don't have data to justify it. So if she can say that, and we have not seen it here to support the actions we're seeing of shutting down businesses. You know, look, there are a lot of people who don't buy in. So if you think this guy's alone, he is not. Next, I'm going to talk to a business owner who traveled three hours. He's a business owner and he wanted to show his support. So I, I you know, I kind of sense that maybe we're starting to see a pushback to these draconian shutdowns. Best to speak from the heart to just put myself out there and, and share my perspective with everybody. I mean, of course, it's terrifying going up against the entire system. I put myself out there like that, but it, there's no choice. There's there's nothing we can do with What do you got here? This is my three-year-old boy, Riley. I'm fighting for him today. Well, they have to follow the rules. There, there can't be rules for one group and, and not the other, and I, I just wish that they'd just follow the rules. I, I can't get angry at any business person. They're hurting right now. And they're struggling and they're doing everything they can to stay afloat. So that's uh, restaurant owner Adam Skelly pushing back against these draconian lockdowns. And the premier, who seemed a little bit torn about this barbecue place in Etobicoke that uh, defied provincial shutdowns. And Ford's response may be seen as a mixed message that rules can be broken. But regardless of what you think about the politics of this virus, I mean, anyone who thinks this business owner is alone in his frustration or the unfairness of it, simply has blinders on. In fact, my guest 
coming up, owns two diners in Minden and decided to uh, drive three hours to show his support because he's been there and done this exact uh, you know, very thing. His name, Jason Lake, owner of Minden 50s Diner. Good to have you, Jason. Hi, hi Alex. Yep. So you, what, what prompted you? You don't know Adam Skelly, who owns this particular barbecue business. What made you come to Toronto? Well, uh, you know, I was actually ended up work this morning. I was just reading the news, and then uh, I saw that uh, he was open his restaurant against the order, and uh, I was feeling his pain and anxiety because I, I, I was, you know, I'm in the same boat. Uh, back in June, my restaurant was closed up, and I, uh, I defied, their, and op- defied the order and open as well, mm-hmm. and exact same thing happened. The police came, the health units came, and everything, and, and you know what? I I, uh, I had to support him, and I just jumped in my truck. I didn't go to work. I just drove right down and to support him and 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 sit down and have a meal. And that's what I did. Yeah, a few, quite a few people did show up. And the bottom the bottom line is, he broke the rules. He's not supposed to open up. And okay, so give the guy a fine. But the cops showed up. The bylaw officers showed up. All this law enforcement showed up, and they didn't do anything. They started ticketing the media for whatever reason, but. They didn't shut him down because they didn't know what to do, which you think to yourself, nine months in, and those in charge don't have a clue what they're supposed to do. I mean, they have since now shut down his restaurant, but it, it makes you think, like, what what the hell are those in charge? You know, they don't know when they're supposed to take charge or who they're supposed to take charge of. No, no, exactly that. I don't even know what was going on. When I showed up, you see police walking around, and, you know, it just seems like everybody's just lost, you know? So, uh you know, and, 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 uh, you know, I just, I just feel his pain. I think a lot of people do, but I mean, this story will get all sorts of attention because of his views on COVID or whatever. It'll become very political, but he is the face of business. And I think the face of business seems to get forgotten in this debate as we, you know, head into day two of a 26 uh, day shutdown, not the first, certainly you uh, went through the first but you're not affected, at least not yet anyway, by the second. But business owners, certainly in the GTA, I mean, it is becoming almost impossible to hang on. Yeah, I have no idea how they're actually they're going to survive. I was I was close to going bankrupt on my one location. And, uh, you know, if it wasn't for the support of actually the cottagers for coming up north, mm-hmm. you know, defying what Doug said, you know, don't go to cottage country. If it wasn't for those people defying what Doug said, with businesses in Halliburton and Minden, we wouldn't be open right now. If it wasn't for, for people defying going to their cottage, we wouldn't be open right now. So I'm thankful for all the people that, you know, the tourists that came up. And, you know, I, I'm really, I commend them for doing it. And uh, that's why we're open. Uh, we're, we're open right now. I can do dining. And uh, thankfully, we have no cases up north. Um, so, but I feel for the people in Toronto, I don't know how they're going to survive on a second shutdown. I just, it's, it's almost impossible. I know the numbers in restaurants, it's a fine line and, you know, they still have to pay their rent and, and this, this relief that people, people go to me, Oh, Jason, you, you got the government relief money, R- relief money. It's a loan. It's a loan for $40,000 and everybody it's, that's added debt. It's not a mm-hmm. relief. Just call it debt. You know, so that's not helping. That's actually, it's, it's, it's worse. We're worse off, you know? So, you know, I don't know. Like, you know, if it was a free 40 grand, I would call that relief. <laughs> yeah. I mean, especially yeah. when you were given no chance, to, uh, you know, this is not something that businesses decided to do. They had no choice in doing it. Um, and, and I can't speak for Minden, but I can definitely speak for the city of Toronto. I mean, you drive around the streets here, there are businesses boarded up 
everywhere. City streets and, and favorites are gone. Restaurants that have been around for yeah. 30, 40 years just packing right. in because they can't survive. And so the complexion of no. the city will never look the same. Do you get no. the sense... Jason, that we're at a point where, you know, we were all so willing to do our part in the spring, but do you get the sense that people, business owners like, um, you know, Adam are starting to push back? Oh yeah. People are, people are opening their eyes now. They see it. You know, we all played our part at the beginning. We all like, Hey, I was prepared to lock down for a month or two months, but a second time around, like this is, this is, this is a travesty. I mean, this is tyranny 100%. And you know, it's the sad part is when, when, uh, you know, when, when the restaurants are deemed evil, and this is the, the part that bothers me most, you know, we were painted like restaurants are the spreaders of COVID with no data behind it. Meanwhile, all the big box stores are thriving. You can go to Costco, home hardware, touch everything on the shelf, you know, put it back. But meanwhile, us restaurants, you know, pre-COVID, we're the cleanest business going. We, we, hand, we sanitize all the products on the table. We're constantly cleaning. I mean, if anything, we should be open and the big box should be closed. You know, maybe we should do that for a while. You know, close Costco's, close all them, let us small business owners, the mom paws, let us go at it for a month, you know, be and, open. And, so, you know, it's, it's sad. Where do you see this going then? Because we're not in this together. I think that is becoming very, very clear. And I think the uh, statement in itself actually angers people now more than it does uh, because there's very clearly a divide growing. Uh, Dr. Bonnie Henry in BC said she can't close businesses and restaurants because she doesn't have the data to back that up. We seem to be putting up with it here in, in Ontario. Uh, we don't have the data to back it up. That doesn't mean that businesses don't have a, a role to play here. Um, but where do you see this going? Uh, you know, I had hope. I thought, you know, we're going to go in uh, into the Christmas season. People be, you know, cheerful and, you know, business can thrive and make some money because, you know, they make up for lost revenue. But now after the second lockdown in the GT and, and Peel, I, I don't know now. I've lost actually all hope in the government. I don't think they even know what's going on. I think they're just, you know, guessing. It's like, oh, who are we going to blame this week? Uh, let's blame restaurants. Oh, no, let's blame gyms. No one seems to know what's going on. And the people are seeing through it now. Do you, do you worry about um, the restaurant industry and, and guys like Adam Skelly, um, oh, you know, being vilified, uh, you know? And, and... I, have, I, have, I grew up in Toronto. I moved up north to cottage country. I have friends that own restaurants. They're walking away. I have one friend walked away, left the keys on the counter, called the landlord. Good luck, you know? So it's, you know, the fallout is a lot worse, you know? So it, I think it's just going to get worse. Well, sadly, uh, I, I wish I could disagree with you, but uh, we're seeing it. So uh, we'll uh, continue to watch. And I hope for your sake that uh, Minden stays clear of the lockdowns. And I'll hope for a very busy Christmas season oh, for you. And I, I, think won't, I won't be locking down. I'm not locking down. Bill. I'll, be, I'll be staying open. I'm not locking down a second time. So that's for All sure. Right. There you go. Another one in defiance of the lockdowns. So if you want to go visit uh, Jason, you can. He's the owner of Minden's 50s Diner in Minden. Worth the drive to Minden. Thanks a lot, Jason. Thank you, Alex. There you go. I truly think that business owners are, are starting to really look, um, you know, from within to say, what the what the hell are we the sacrificial lambs in this thing? Because uh, it's just so unfair. We'll continue talking about it because uh, I think we're at the start of something, um, a, a different kind of movement here. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If Only in Theatres, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? 
All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. All right, great to have you here on this Tuesday. And, you know, with all our in-depth coverage of long-term care and certainly all the horror stories we've heard about this, I think the question a lot of families are asking is, well, what, what do I do? What's the alternative? And certainly if you can afford very pricey private care, you are certainly one of the few and lucky ones because it's very expensive, running anywhere from five to, what, 15000 a month. And just before the pandemic hit, the issue of home care was starting to kind of gain traction with the Ford government looking into expanding it. But then that talk kind of just went silent because we're now in a pandemic. But certainly home care is, I think, the most compassionate care that we can give our loved ones. Not only does it offer dignity and comfort, but loved ones would feel less stress and fear. And certainly it gives people, uh, families, uh, control and a better eye of making sure your parents' care is exactly as it should be. And it also gets rid of this horrid uh, warehousing of our most vulnerable and takes a burden off of a buckling system where germs, as we've now seen, spread like wildfire. So if someone like me knows you know, all of this stuff, why is it that we're still putting our most vulnerable at risk and not offering this as an option? Pauline Lyons is Managing Director of Living Assistance. This is an alternative to long-term care homes. She joins us now. Good to have you. Thank you. I appreciate it. And so the one thing I think a lot of people see this pandemic is is an opportunity, an opportunity to fix what is clearly very, very broken. But your organization and several others have been pushing for more home care. Is that going to happen in a timely fashion or is this one of those afterthoughts? Well, we are optimistic. Uh, we, we understand all of the uh, struggles to getting to that place. Uh, it is the most safe at this point place where your loved ones can be. Uh, so we are very, very hopeful. Uh, one of the things that we are looking at is how we can integrate with the system that we currently have where uh, the government sends uh, home care uh, employees in to visit with uh, residents as well as uh, people who live in their own homes. If we could somehow manage to um, provide a secondary system where we could assist in that area, it would be the perfect match. Right. Because not everybody can go into home care. I mean, everyone says, well, just keep them at home. I mean, in my stepdad's case, he had dementia. And, at, you know, at a certain point, um, you know, they became a danger to themselves. They can become a danger to, to their loved ones. And so you have to turn to the system and hope for that help. But, but there are many, many, I think, elderly people who would qualify for this kind of service. And when you look at the numbers, I actually thought it would be more expensive. Um, it's actually cheaper. A hundred uh, and three dollars a day versus 180 in a in a facility. Um, so I think that would surprise a lot of people. Yes, I think it, it would be surprising. The assumption is that uh, if you're paying for services and you have someone coming in, that it would be quite costly. But in fact, the flexibility of home care service makes it very affordable. You choose the services you want. You choose the time. You choose the dates. So you can customize a service that you can afford. How much access is there to this kind of care, though? 
Well, currently, as you are aware, uh, there is a challenge with regards to the shortage of personal support workers or caregivers uh, in the province, in fact, in the country. Uh, so that does provide a bit of uh, a challenge to giving care to everyone who requests it. But for the most part, we have been able to, uh, agencies like ours have been able to uh, hire good people and provide the type of care that families are looking for. Certainly, I have to think there's demand there since this pandemic hit with people saying, okay, hold on a second, I don't want to put my loved one um, in, in a warehouse type situation. Not only do I want them to live like that, but I don't want to be locked away from them should should something go wrong. Yes, we have seen an increase in inquiries about home care, uh, especially for people who were thinking about putting their loved ones into a facility uh, just before the pandemic and decided that they would look at other alternatives. So for us, it has been a good opportunity to educate people on exactly how this works because very few people understand that they can make this uh, part of their routine and that they are able to customize it the way that they would like. Getting care um, for a loved one is very, very daunting. It's um, emotional, but it's also very hard navigating the medical system. Like, it's like, where do you turn to find, you know, good care? And so I don't think people would know where to even start with home care. So how do you know then it's even an option? Well, one of the great things uh, with our system, uh, having universal health care, is that the discussions are had. So if you are being discharged from the hospital or if you are seeking information from the community resources, uh, that this option, home care, is something that is offered and you have the flexibility to look at some agencies within the area where you live. And most agencies, like ours, would provide some very good information on the in, on the first call uh, so that you understand exactly what's offered to you. And do you get the sense, I mean, maybe it's because we are in the eye of the storm right now, but do you get the sense, because the Premier did say he would fix long-term care, that they are ready to pivot and start making this um, far more accessible and far more affordable uh, and a almost like a second nature uh, to the system that we have, because clearly the warehousing of seniors has been now put under the magnifying glass. And I, I'm not sure a lot of people knew how broken it was. So do you see home care becoming a much bigger part of the conversation moving forward? Uh, yes, we have seen, we, we're very optimistic because we have seen a lot of discussions uh, about this within our own uh, private agency uh, talks and as well as some of the information that has been coming from the uh, Premier and his office. Mm -hmm. uh, however, we know that it is a huge undertaking and yeah. it will take time, but we would like to be part of the process and we would be willing to help in any way that we can uh, to take it in that direction. And do you have the data to back up how people, how seniors, the most vulnerable, fare in home, home care versus going into an institution? We found that for uh, families that move their loved one into a facility, uh, whether it be a long-term care or any other type of facility, uh, that uh, within the first six months or so, uh, there is that uh, loss of, of home and loss mm -hmm. of uh, feeling of belonging. Um, that leads to all kinds of, of, of other issues. Uh, being at home is where most people want to stay, 
and so we find that their health is improved with the assistance of some care. Um, but it, 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 it's very difficult to uproot after sometimes 60 or 70 years in the same place uh-huh. and go into a brand new environment, leave all of your things, your your neighbors, your pets behind. Yeah. Um, so yes, it is it is a huge challenge for, for older adults to, to make that move. And certainly we see through the eyes of uh, people like Nancy, who in long-term care got locked behind closed doors once the pandemic hit and went from lively and spirited to just decaying within weeks and months and ended up choosing, you know, suicide, uh, assisted suicide, uh, rather than have to go through this again. So, uh, you know, we have seen anecdotal evidence certainly of that during this pandemic of uh, of the need for that human companionship and, and comforts and, and less stress. So uh, we should at least take some lessons for that. Well, we'll see where the conversation certainly takes us, Pauline, because Lord knows, I hope that this is certainly something that is very normal by the time I and many others reach that stage of life. I very much appreciate your time on this. I, I appreciate you having me. Thank you very much. Thank you. That is Pauline Lyons, and I do. I really hope that this talk is walked, because if you've ever had a loved one in long-term care, it is not only one of the hardest choices to have to make, not just for you as a family, but for the person going in. If you can't be the advocate for your loved one in that care, um, you know, you just don't know what's going on. And so uh, this is something that everyone, I think, should want and fight for. All right, welcome back to the show. It is an event billed as Zoom to Free Meng Wanzhou, a campaign rally to push for the freedom of Huawei CEO Meng Wanzhou, who is right now, I'd say, enjoying a pretty plush set of bail conditions in her $13 million BC mansions. And this is, of course, as she waits for her extradition hearing to move through Canadian courts. And this event was put together by a group of Canadian activist groups who feel that the U.S. has put Canada in a position. But Nowhere in this event does there seem to be a voice for the two men paying the ultimate price for her charges. And I assure you, Michael Kovrig and Michael Spavor are not enjoying the freedom that Miss Meng Wanzhou enjoys. And taking part in this event are two MPs, NDP Nikki Ashton and a Green MP, who many feel are endorsing a false narrative that she was detained in an unprovoked kidnapping. Paul Manley of the Green Party of Nanaimo Ladysmith joining us now. Good to have you. Thanks for having me. Why are you being, uh, you know, involved in this kind of event? Are you not concerned about the message that sends to China? Well, my main concern is with the release of Michael Spavor and Michael Kovrig and putting an end to hostage diplomacy. And that's what the focus of the event should be. Um, you know, with anybody that knows my background and advocacy and work in the House of Commons knows that I'm also very concerned about human rights in China, the situation with the Uyghurs, democracy activists in Hong Kong, the Chinese surveillance state. And I have been talking about the lopsided and anti-democratic Canada-China FIPA for years. We cannot unilaterally release Meng Wanzhou. Canada is a signatory to extradition agreements with the United States and a number of other countries. And these have the force of law in this country, and they need to be respected. So there shouldn't be any political interference. Right. Back in July... So so therefore, it should be the Canadian courts that decide that. But my concern is, because nowhere in the invent, you know, information on this, does it talk about the the Michael? So are you going to be raising that tonight? Michael uh, Spavor and and Michael Goldberg, are you going to make sure to, to be talking about them? Absolutely. That's the reason why I'm hopping onto this event. And I will also be talking about, uh, you know, other issues with China. Um, 
we put out a release in July when some prominent Canadians said that Hmong should be re- should be released. The uh, Green Party caucus put out a statement calling on the federal government to demand that the United States drop the criminal charges against Hmong uh, Wangzhou and withdraw its extradition request so that Canada could release her. And the reason why is Trump, Donald Trump has abused the trust of Canadian authorities and abused the international di- diplomatic norms in a cynical manipulation uh, to, you know, for his uh, trade talks. But but that so, has nothing to do with, with the fact that she was taken into custody. The courts are dealing with that and the courts have to deal with that. So to just all of a sudden say, okay, let her go, sends an even more dangerous message. And certainly for those in China, because this event is getting a lot, a lot of attention in Chinese media. I mean, they are looking at this and saying, gee, thanks a lot for doing our propaganda for us. Because what it looks like is that yourself and Nikki Ashton, um, two Canadian MPs, are, are basically saying, yes, uh, you know, that Miss Meng Wanzhou was detained in this unprovoked kidnapping. She was never kidnapped. And I'd, I'd hazard to say that her bail conditions, uh, most Canadians would love to have as a real life because she's been treated extraordinarily well. Yeah, no, I agree 100%. I mean, she's very w- rich and living in the lap of luxury. Uh, but, you know, the, the Chinese propaganda com- machine is not going to be happy with what I have to say in this event. I'm, I'm joining this event to take part in discussion and debate. It's hosted by the Canadian Foreign Policy Institute. They've hosted similar events that Liberal MPs and Bloc MPs and NDP and Green MPs have taken part in. And I'm taking part in this to debate and discuss this issue. The root cause of this is Donald Trump's bellicose and unilateral uh, tearing up of the, the Iran nuclear deal, which was signed on to by a number of countries and, and imposing sanctions, which are not recognized by the European Union. And the European Union has banned its citizens. But that has, that is, has nothing to do with the detention of the two Michaels. Nothing to do with it. And, 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 and further, it doesn't have anything to do with our relations with China. I mean, that is in, in itself is a completely different um, event. And, and what I think is getting it's confused the reason here, why Meng Wanzhou is in, it's the reason why Meng Wanzhou is detained. Is well, the, she's detained. No, she's being detained because, because she's charged. She's charged with, you know, fraud charges in, in a deal with dealings with Iran, um, and and the allegation and the being that she broke rules with the sanction. But again, this event is not going to do anything, you know, to 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 change any of that. Why not just let the Canadian courts deal with this? And go, you know, speak out for the two Michaels. I mean, I, I just don't understand why any Canadian politician would try to free Miss Meng Wanzhou when we have a system in place designed to decide that. Well, no, I, I, I don't think that we should just free Meng Wanzhou. I'm calling out the American administration uh, on the carpet here because th- this is dec- directly related to the sanctions and to Donald Trump's irresponsible and dangerous behavior. And that is key. Like this, Canada is a pawn caught between two bullies. And the, the totalitarian, you know, Communist Party in China is a bully. And this is a, a hostage taking with the two Michaels, and they need to be released. The reason why we put out that statement in July was to call the American administration out and say, you need to stop this. And we, I'm looking forward to uh, Joe Biden being uh, inaugurated so we can get back to a multilateral system it, you know, on this planet where we deal with issues like Iran's nuclear ambitions in a proper way. And that's 
what this is about. It's about the sanctions. And if without those sanctions, Hmong would not be charged with anything. Well, I'm not sure. I'm not sure we can actually say that. I mean, that that yeah, is, that is conjecture that. at best. But no, well, we can't they, say she that. Was, she was violating. She was violating the sanction rules with what she said to HSBC. And HSBC has branches around the world, and the U- European Union has told their corporations to ignore these sanctions. They've ordered them as a part of a blocking statute. Well, so, nonetheless, a Joe Biden you know, administration is not going to expedite, nor is it going to alleviate the problems we have with China. My concern, and I think a concern of Canadians, is when Canadian politicians um, you know, start looking like they're advocating for somebody uh, who they should not, and in doing so could further harm um, you know, the two Michaels, who, as we both know, are in fact not living in the lab of luxury, but are in fact being tortured. Um, so I'm going to listen. I'm going to see what you have to say uh, during this uh, Zoom event. And I certainly hope that you do give a voice to those two men. I will. Absolutely. That's why I'm taking part. I don't like the name of the event. I don't like the premise of the event. And I am stepping into it to debate because and they, they actually know that that's what I'm doing. You know, we told them that I don't uh, that I don't support just releasing Hmong, that uh, that this is a problem laid at the feet of the United States administration. And we are caught between two bullies in this situation. And that's what uh- needs to be dealt with. Well, then we will stay tuned. I do appreciate you joining us. Thank you. All right. Thank you so much. That is a green MP for Nanaimo Ladysmith, Paul Paul Manley. So we'll see what uh, the comments bring and how the event is covered. Good to have you here on this busy Tuesday. The COVID-19 pandemic has certainly revealed a lot of flaws when we look into Ontario's hybrid system of long-term care. And more right now than half of the province's long-term care homes are run by for-profit operators. And that's led to a lot of questions, you know, about how some of these operators are responding to the pandemic. Global News has been going in-depth on long-term care. Here's Global Scott Monick with part two of Care Gone Wrong Inside Ontario's Nursing Homes. 24 hours a day, he was yelling, help me, help me, help me. Janice Duffy's 89-year-old father, Doug Moody, has spent the past six years living in long-term care. Duffy would travel from her home in Cambridge to London and spend the weekend visiting with him. But when the pandemic hit in March, in-person visits were replaced by weekly Skype calls. Duffy's father became lonely, isolated, and that started to take a heavy toll. Prior to the shutdown, he could dial a phone, answer a phone, use a TV remote, brush his teeth. He could write, he could print, he could eat solid foods and drink unthickened liquids, and he can do none of those things now. By August, Duffy says her dad was constantly yelling and calling out for help. He was hospitalized for over two and a half weeks and would require 24-hour one-to-one care going forward. But Duffy said staffing shortages at his home left her family with few options. In the end, they hired two full-time caregivers at a personal cost of $7,000 a month. It feels like an insult to have to pay that monthly bill to provide care for our dad, which is about $3,000 a month, to in turn pay another $7,000 a month to actually provide care. High taxes and spending are killing Ontario jobs. Had enough? I have. I'm Mike Harris. Call this number and join our common sense revolution. Back in the mid-1990s, Mike Harris and his common sense revolution 
swept into power at Queen's Park. Managed competition, uh, to some extent, favored the corporate owners because of the kinds of requirements that were involved. And, you know, uh, the the mom and pops didn't have the the, uh, kind of market mechanisms to compete in the same way. So we saw a considerable expansion in the for-profit ownership. Dr. Pat Armstrong is a York University professor of sociology and a Canadian Institutes of Health Research Chair of Health Services. She's been doing health research for over three decades. One thing they did was uh, remove the minimum staffing levels. There had been minimum staffing levels and they removed that, so that made it more attractive uh, for investment. Over the summer, the Canadian Medical Association Journal released a study that raised questions about the ownership status of nursing homes. Researchers looked at all long-term care homes in Ontario from March 29th, the date of the first reported case of COVID-19 in a home, until May 20th. Dr. Nathan Stahl is a geriatrician at Mount Sinai Hospital and study co-author. That first month, um, from sort of mid-March to mid-April, um, that was when everyone was freaking out about hospitals and um, clearing out hospitals. And in that month, um, hundreds of long-term care home residents died. Hundreds went into outbreak. Um, and it wasn't until the middle of April that the province said, oh, my God, um, let's start redirecting some of these resources to long-term care homes. And let's try and address what was an out-of-control humanitarian crisis. Ontario currently has 623 long-term care homes. About 58% of them are for-profit, 26% are non-profit, while 16% are municipally run. Stahl said most of the municipal homes in the province have been updated to the new construction standards. However, the same cannot be said when it comes to for-profit homes with older design standards. Profit status didn't have an impact on whether a home was going to experience an outbreak or not. But once the virus got into the home, we noted that for-profit homes compared to non-profit homes had outbreaks that were nearly twice as large, so involved nearly twice as many residents, and were about 78% deadlier, so uh, 78% more residents died. And so one could take that and say, well, holy crap, this, you know, all the for-profit homes are bad. But this is why we did this analysis, was when you looked at what were the features that explained why for-profit homes did worse, is that they had a higher proportion of homes with those C and D type uh, bed standards, the older design standards, and they had, uh, and chain ownership was the other risk factor we found. Chartwell is one of the largest operators in Ontario. CEO Vlad Volodarsky says long-term care homes have outbreak control measures for influenza, but there wasn't a playbook in the beginning for COVID-19. The government and public health officials focus on preventing the overrun of the hospitals that occurred in some European countries before us. Um, And that was the focus. So they were trying to do all they could to protect the hospitals, to create additional capacity in the hospitals, and really, the rest of the society, including long-term care operators and retirement homes, were not being prioritized in terms of the preparation for um, this outbreak. There were staffing shortages within long-term care even prior to COVID-19. A number of homes rely on temporary contract workers hired through external agencies. This only exasperated the crisis early on in the pandemic as cases began to spike in long-term care facilities. In mid-April, the Ford government issued an emergency order prohibiting employees from working at multiple long-term care facilities to slow the spread of the virus. However, 
Volodarsky argues that doesn't address the problem. People were saying you have to have only full-time employees in your homes. Well, we can't. Think about seven days a week. You have one shift where full-time means five days a week. That leaves two days a week for somebody else to work. So by definition, 50% of our workforce is part-time. Then you have somebody calling sick or going on vacation or going on maternity leave. You have to have a pool of casual people who come and help out during that period of time. Donna Duncan is the CEO of the Ontario Long-Term Care Association and supported the emergency order. However, she notes there was a loophole. Agency staff were not restricted to single site. So your staff, were, your, your full-time staff or, or your fully dedicated staff to your home were required to pick a single site, uh, but the agency staff were not. London's Dearness Home has 243 long-term care beds and more than 300 staff. The city-owned facility hasn't recorded a single case of COVID-19 during the pandemic. We do generally enjoy good levels of funding, which allows us to have uh, good staffing levels and uh, you know, d- very uh, decent wages for our staff and benefits. Leslie Hancock is the administrator at Dearness Home. He's quick to point out that nothing good happens in long-term care without excellent staff. We don't have to rely on agency staff, which means that all the people that work here have had all the training that they need require, and they know our culture of care for our residents. Some advocates say Ontario's long-term care system needs to be overhauled. The NDP is calling for a shift to a public non-profit long-term care system over the course of eight years, phasing out private operators altogether. Dr. Stahl says it's a complex issue with no quick fixes or simple solutions. And as long as COVID-19 cases continue to climb in Ontario, seniors living in long-term care will remain vulnerable. Is totally um, turning the system upside down in the middle of a pandemic and a crisis, is that going to be more helpful or do we wait until the dust settles and then have a serious conversation? For Global News, I'm Scott Monick. You can join us Monday through Friday, of course, 6.30 straight through to 10. I'm Alex Pearson on Point, and this is Global News Radio.